Uh, as we know, uh, as a church, we seek to be disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ. That is our mission. It's nothing new. God told us that. And that's what we seek to do and to be. We do that through three ways. We try to do that through pulpit, table, square. We do that through uh, pulpit, the church gathered. Square, or sorry, table is the church and community, and square is the church in the city. Part of being a church in the city, if we're truly a disciple-making church, is that we will send. We will multiply. We will plant churches. We will seek to help other churches revitalize themselves as well. Those are the things that we're going to do. As a fellowship, we're planting churches. We're part of the fellowship of evangelical churches. That's why Tom's here. Uh, and so that's what we're doing. And we want to praise God for what he's doing amongst our brothers and sisters. And I think Tom's going to tell you a whole lot of cool things that are happening. But one of the cool things that are happening is Aaron Johnson. I'm going to ask Aaron Johnson to come up here. He's planting a church in Hensel, which is just north of Exeter, out of Emmanuel the Exeter. <laughs> yeah. I've known Aaron for a few years, uh, back in our youth pastor days, back in the big GTA area. So please, uh, he's going to tell you a little bit about what's going on in Hensel, Ontario. I had to look it up. So. Thank you, Nate. You know, I'm going to stand over here. This pulpit is a Nathan Clausen height. It's not, a, it's not an Aaron Johnson height. Uh, and church family, know that you are, you are absolutely blessed to have a lead pastor in Nathan. Know his, his heart and his desire for Jesus. And when he says these things, he's not just saying them, he believes them. And, uh, and so you know, church family, that you are extremely blessed to be led by such a man. Um, I was hoping for like a clap, a revival, like a yeah. Let's, okay, there you go. <laughs> Pastors need encouragement too, man. Um, it's an absolute joy to be here with you this morning, and, and, and thank you for just giving me the opportunity, a couple minutes, just to share uh, what God has been doing uh, through us in our small town, and how we are stepping out in faith to plant a church. It is extremely scary, but also exciting at the same time, and, uh, and if you're here this morning, and, and like this is the first time you've ever even heard of church planting, and you're like, what is this? It's, I don't even understand. This has nothing to do with me. Um, I pray that whatever is shared this morning through our testimony and through, through Tom preaching the word, that you would be encouraged and motivated in the mission that God has for you. Uh, even if God has not called you to be a part of church planting specifically, he has certainly called you to be on mission. And if through this, you just have this, 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 uh, this re-engagement with evangelism, a motivation to just go home and get to know your neighbors again and share the, the beauty and the truth of Christ with them, well, then we say praise God. Uh, I'm just going to answer two questions because uh, that's all Nate gave me. He said two questions. Uh, <laughs> What, why are you planting, and how can we pray? So why are we planting? Um, for us, listen, we're, we're kind of a, a small church as well, uh, just up in, in Exeter, 30 minutes north of here. We're about 200 people on a Sunday morning, 125 members. We're not like some big thousand-person church. And yet our church in a small town has decided to step out in faith and to send a group from us and plant and do a new work. And so it's entirely possible for a church like this to be able to do something like that. Um, the desire for us started with, with outreach. So about three and a half years, four years back, as we were in search for a new lead pastor, we just had this opportunity to kind of reevaluate us as a church. Uh, who are we? Uh, what do we want our future to look like? What have we been doing really well, and where are the areas that we've been struggling and not doing so well? And as we surveyed our church and our people, we came to realize that, like, like they said, number one, what do we want to do in the future is outreach. We've got to get back into the community. Uh, we want to tell people the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, I think at the time, a lot of our people were thinking, we're going to do some new program, or we're going to do some new event. But as we as elders sat down and prayed and studied and looked through this, we realized that if we really want to reach our community, the best way to do evangelism is by starting a new church. 
And that definitely caught our people off guard at first, but it is statistically proven that new churches are better at evangelism than established churches. It's just the truth. Now, that's not a hit against the established church at all because it is, they are necessary and it's good. But it was just a nudge for us personally to say, okay, cool, if we really want to reach our community, instead of beginning a new program and kind of continuing that old school thinking of just sending out invitations and hope everybody comes and sees the thing, what if we go and tell them? What if we recapture the heart of Jesus that says go? And so we, we desire to, to send out just a small group of gifted and talented people from among us that will actually be incarnational in the community, going out and seeking unchurched and unsaved people. Uh, we also kind of maxed out the space at our building as well. So, you know, we had this conversation. We could spend a million dollars. Like, like, literally, I'm not making that number up. Like, it would be like a million dollars to expand our building. So we could have bigger programs and bring more people in, hire more staff. Or we could spend $30,000. That's like actually our budget this year for our church plan. $30,000 to send out a group and go and start a new work. Uh, we spent $46,000 replacing all the lights in our church last year. We could run a new church for a year for less than we could replace the lights in our building. And that was our target, as I mentioned. Who are we actually going after? We're targeting unchurched, unsaved people. We have no desire in just starting another Sunday morning service and inviting all the Christians from our area to come. Because that's often what happens with new churches. Um, a new church is starting, a Sunday morning service is going, oh, Aaron's going to be there, cool, and, and you get a bunch of Christians from other churches that will come because they're looking for the latest thing, or they're mad at their church and they don't like their church anymore, so we'll go to the new one and we'll try it out. <laughs> that's not expanding the kingdom of God. That's just reshuffling the deck. Our heart is to reach new people, people who have never heard of Jesus before, or people who have heard of Jesus but they haven't heard the gospel. They've seen, they've heard about Jesus and they see religion, but they don't know the beauty of saving grace. And so that's our heart, and that's actually a lot harder than you think to set out and do evangelism in such a way. Uh, we actually have a desire not to just plant one church. We're not just thinking of planting a single seed, a single church, but maybe God is calling us to plant a whole vineyard. We actually have a heart for small town, rural Ontario. God bless the city. I love the city, and I love that you guys are here. That means I don't have to be here in the city. I'm a small town boy. Um, <laughs> But, trust me, God believes in, in small towns as well. And, and people in small towns need Jesus too. And we have all these little towns around us that have empty churches in them. Multiple, massive, big, empty buildings that are just sitting there waiting for new people to come and fill them and start a new work. And so we have this heart to, to actually plant in all these little towns around us. Um, so if anybody here is like, yeah, I want to go plant a church, Tom's your man to talk to. And be careful if you talk to Tom because... Church planning was not on my radar at all. I was very hesitant. I was like Moses, and then Tom just, once he gets his, his fangs in you, man, it's, it's hard to... Um, why Hensel? I'll just tell you a little bit quickly about our small town. Um, it's only 10 minutes north of us, and some people have thought, well, it's only 10 minutes away. Why, why go to Hensel? Can't those people come to our church? And the answer to that is yes. Yes, those people could come to our church. They could have come at any point in the last year, the last 10 years, but they're not. So how about we go to them? That's the heart. There's actually no church in this, in this small town of Hensel. Not a single church, but there's tons of families. Because in our area, it was kind of the, the, if you're starting out a new family or your first home, that's where you would go. And so it's just stocked full of young families. There's no gospel witness there. Um, so anyway, God had been calling us to this area. It also helps that because we're only 10 minutes down the road, the team that is coming with me, who are gifted and godly people, I'm not asking them to move. And in fact, they already have existing relationships 
They have relationships with people from high school that they were buddies with that like if they invited them over for a campfire or a barbecue, they would probably come. They just never had the time to actually do it because they're involved in so many other programs. Well, now they're just focused on these existing relationships with new people who they kind of have this relationship, but they don't know Jesus. And so they're able to come and be a part of this uh, in this area, which is pretty cool. As we looked at our small town, Hensel, there was on the main street, there was like this, uh, this old, where it used to be a grocery store, a big empty building. I was like, oh, let's buy this. Let's renovate it. It'd be a great space. I had no idea who owned this building. So I walk into the pharmacy on main street and I asked the pharmacist, hey, do you know who owns that building over there? I'd like to talk to him about it. He didn't know, but he said, why? Why are you looking for a building for? I said, well, we're just thinking about planting a new church and we're kind of looking for a building maybe in this area. We hadn't even decided on Hensel at that point. And this guy's eyes just come out of his head. And he's looking at me, and, and so let me tell you about this guy. This was, this was totally of God. But three years prior to this meeting, there was one church left in our small town of Hensel, an old United Church. And they were folding up and closing shop, and so they were going to sell their property, sell the building. And they were going to sell it to a developer who was going to take it down and put up some houses. This guy, who is a pharmacist in town, is also a Catholic that lives here in London. <laughs> a Catholic gentleman who lives in London, but he loves Hensel, and he could not imagine his small town not having a church. He said, no, there has to be a church here in Hensel. And so he bought the building all by himself. He bought the building outright, and he's been floating it. And in his mind, he said he gave God a five-year plan, that somebody would come and preach the gospel in this place. He's a very evangelical Catholic. He's amazing. And he had this vision of, like, somebody will come. Well, they would run a community events. They were doing spaghetti dinners and barbecues, and people would come, but nobody would stay for prayer. Nobody would stay for Bible study. Nobody would stay to watch a Christian movie. And three years into it, pandemic and everything, he had what we call the death of a vision. For the first time, he thought, you know what, God, maybe this was the wrong thing to do. Maybe it's not working out. Nobody's coming. Uh, the bills are stacking up, um, he, right? And so he had the death of a vision. He, for the first time, thought, maybe I'll sell this building. And then here in walks some long-haired weirdo going, hey, do you have a building <laughs> where we could start a church? And, uh, and he's just losing his mind because this has been his prayer for the last three years. And so God has preserved this building for us, and he's provided us this place. We're going to pay $1,000 a month for rent for this massive old United Church building. It's totally 60s wood paneling and everything on the walls, but like, whatever, man. The, the church is not the building. The church is the people. And so we are just, we're just absolutely blessed with, with the idea that down the road, hey, maybe we'd be able to purchase this place and be able to use it long-term for ministry. And so it's little things like that where God providing that we go, okay, this is where God wants us to be. Um, I've taken way too much time. How can you pray? You can pray for evangelism. Um, would anybody agree that evangelism is hard? We all know that we should share Jesus. We all want to share Jesus. But then that moment comes and you know what we need? We don't need to pray for opportunities. You have opportunities every day. Your neighbors are right there. Your coworkers are right there. Your students, your friends are right there. What we need is courage. That's what we need. We need courage. We need to, we need to be faithful and we need to be obedient. But it's really easy to actually run a service. It's a lot harder to get in and reach new unsaved people. And so pray. Pray for the people in Hensel that their hearts will be open. The Spirit of God is going to draw them. Acts 18 has been an encouraging verse for us as a team. In that verse, um, Jesus himself speaks directly to Paul when Paul is super discouraged in the city of Corinth. And he says, um, he says don't worry, nobody's going to beat you up this time. And then Jesus says to Paul, um, my children are here in, in Corinth. He says, be rest assured, my children are here. You go on preaching the gospel. And for us, we realize, okay, how can I be motivated in evangelism? I know that God's children are already there in Hensel. God's children are already here in your community, in your neighborhood. They are. 
Our job is to go and bear witness to the gospel and to be faithful to that, and God will do the great work. So pray for evangelism. Pray for our sending church, our mother church, that she would continue to thrive. She is learning the, the kingdom principle that you actually gain by losing. But it's also very, very bittersweet. Uh, we love our church, and we're taking a, a team of gifted people out, and so they're going to feel that relationally. Ah, oh, it feels like we're, we're the ones that are still here, and they're off doing this new thing, but it's actually reinvigorated the church towards evangelism. It's given all these new opportunities for people to step up into roles and take leadership positions that they didn't have before. Um, but they're also looking for an associate pastor, and we want her to continue to thrive and grow. Um, so be praying for her, and then finally just be praying for, yeah, our financial situation. Um, obviously, we're, we're, we set a goal of we set a goal of, of we have our, a budget from our church, praise God. We set a goal of like 70000 by May 1st. Um, we, we decided as a team, we kind of, our church voted like the end of November to say, hey, go out and plant a church. Uh, we got the budget, praise God. We said, hey, in December, or January 1st, we're going to start to like actively fundraise. Like we'll actually start going and trying to partner with some people who want to be a part of this. Uh, that vote was the last Sunday of November. By Christmas Eve, we had $46,000 donated to our church plant without us even asking a single person for money. In fact, I only asked our church once, I said, don't give us money. If you're giving to the budget, you're giving to this plant. If you want to go above and beyond that, then God bless you. Yes, of course. And the church has been incredible because, whatever, man, $46,000, like, I guarantee that our entire church spent over $46,000 on Christmas gifts. I bet if you, you took all the money that all of you spent on Christmas gifts right here, I bet you it's more than 50 grand. And our church is saying, yeah, but you, you actually want to go out and you want to do evangelism? You want to go into the, into the world and do this? Hey, we're with you. So if you want to partner with us in that by praying and financial giving, praise God, man. We still have a little bit more money that we'd like to have before we launch out. You can come and talk to me or, or talk to Nate after, and, uh, and we'll get you connected. But, but thank you. Thank you for just allowing me to share. Nate, you can come on up and pray. And, and we value your prayers and your partnership. And I pray that this has been an encouragement to you to just carry on in your mission for Christ. Awesome. We can be praying. He didn't introduce his family. Oh, my bad. My bad. Back here is my lovely wife, Holly. She's the better half. Uh, that was step one. Are you going to plant a church? Holly, can we plant a church? That's number one. She's on board. Uh, my beautiful kids, Charlie, Lucy, and Chloe. And then right here, Nate, you want to give a wave? Nate's a young adult. He's coming on our launch team. He was here at your conference, I think, a couple weeks ago. And so, yeah. Awesome. Uh, that's intimidating, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Let it, yeah, <laughs> just a bit. Uh, let us pray for, uh, for, for Aaron and for Holly and the family and for this church plant. May God bless this. May the ch his kingdom grow in this. May we as a church partner with them, at least praying for them. I shouldn't say at least. That's probably the best thing we can do. And I pray that that also kind of spurs us on as well to be evangelistic and to go out and share the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, we know that this city needs Jesus in a desperate way. So let us do this. Uh, for those of us who are Knollwood people, um, I'm going to do a stretch. And this is the cousin of Darren Johnson. So if that can kind of put a connection to you in your mind and maybe more of a burden to pray in your heart. But let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for what you are doing. It is not because of us. But Lord, we are humbled that you would even use us to grow your kingdom. And Lord, we pray for Aaron and for Holly and for the team. We pray for their kids. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would protect them, that, uh, that, that there would be people that come alongside of them and encourage them to be parents that you call them to be and to do. Uh, Lord, we pray that they, for boldness uh, for them and the team, that they would go out and share the good news of Jesus Christ. 
We pray that they would continue to see awesome things that you are doing. Because as we were reminded in Psalm 145, you do great things. You do great works, Lord. You have in the past, and you will continue to do that. So, Lord, I pray that your kingdom would grow in Hensel. That you would bless Exeter, uh, Emmanuel Exeter, as they send, <clears throat> sorry, as they send these people out. Lord, may they come to that knowing that to give is also to receive as well. And Lord, I pray that you would bless them and give them wisdom as they seek for a new associate pastor as well. Lord, as we call up Tom to preach, Lord, I pray that you would preach through him, that you would give him the words that are needed, soften our hearts, open our ears to what you will have to say through your word today. And amen. It is a huge privilege to be able to be with you today. I'm just uh, so glad that I can be. Um, Aaron is, and Holly and the family are one of the stories of what's happening in Feb Central these days. God is at work in our region, among our family of churches, and he's doing some pretty amazing things. I have uh, a, a, a paper copy of, a, of an online report that is sent out to your church and all of our churches every uh, four times a year. And, and on this, there are a whole bunch of little pictures. You can't see them, but they look like little dots, right? These things. And there's page after page after page after page of little dots. Uh, there are close to 40 couples like Aaron and Holly right now in Feb Central region who are planting new churches to reach new people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they're seeing people come to faith in Jesus. These are exciting days to be a part of Feb Central and to see what God is doing. Uh, <laughs> it, it's, it, can be, um, it can be overwhelming sometimes just to see that so much is happening. You realize that 13 new churches have been launched during covid it's crazy. It's crazy to see that happening. It feels like sometimes everything's been put on pause. Our lives and the ministry of the gospel and everything else because of COVID. And yet God is still on the throne. And he is still doing his work. And it's amazing. It's, it's just an incredible thing to see. And so I, I, I count it just a huge privilege to be uh, able to serve in this role because I get to work with uh, people like Aaron and Holly and, and others who are planting new churches to reach new people with the gospel. And, and that's, you know, Aaron emphasized that. I emphasize it a lot because there's a lot of misunderstanding uh, about church planting because of, of models that have not been church planting but kind of called themselves that. Sometimes congregations get started, and that's not church planting. It's congregation starting. When you gather a bunch of Christians from a variety of churches and start a new worship service, you haven't reached any lost people at all. You've just, you know, weakened the local church effectively in lots of cases. That is not what we do. It's not what we're about. We're about taking a, a, a small uh, strike force <laughs> and going into a community and reaching brand new people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and starting a brand new worshiping 
community. And that's what we do. And, and it's all in obedience to the Great Commission, which is given to us in, in Matthew chapter 28. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And, and then he promises that he'll be with us to the very end of the age. And, and in, that, in that passage, um, there's, there's an expected response to it, that people will obey it. And when we follow the scriptures and we see the natural response to the Great Commission, it's shown to us. It, it's shown to us in the book of Acts, because that was the natural response to the Great Commission. And the book of Acts is a story of planting new churches all across the known world at the time. And, and so we see it unfold. Today we're going to explore a passage of Scripture um, uh, that is one of, the, one of the books of the Bible that uh, it, is, it is the most beautiful and eloquent um, treatise on the gospel in all of Scripture. It's the book of Romans. Um, and, and as we come to the book of Romans, um, we, we see it as um, sometimes for us, Romans can be a little bit of an intimidating book because there's so much deep theology, and, and it's such a, a rich book. For a lot of people, it's their favorite book in all of the Bible. Some of the first Bible verses that new Christians memorize are from the book of Romans, right? We learn John 3.16, 3, we, we learn Romans 3.23, and we learn, you know, different ones like that. And, and there are things that are, 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 are very significant to us. When I was a kid, uh, just uh, probably a young teen, uh, my pastor uh, preached on the book of Romans, and uh, he did it verse by verse, actually phrase by phrase through the book of Romans. It took him four years to get through the book of Romans. I mean, it was, it was beautiful, uh, but I'll tell you, one day I was standing in the church lobby with my best friend, and we were teenagers, and, and <laughs> something fell on the ground. We looked down, the book of Romans fell out of his Bible. <laughs> you can spend that much time in the book of Romans, and it is so deep. This morning we're not going to do that. We're not going to spend four years. This is not the beginning of something. But what we're going to do is uh, we are going to, to do what I often do. I, I get in a plane and I fly out of Pearson. We circle out over the lake and I see Toronto from, you know, 10,000, 15,000 feet as the plane is climbing. We're going to do that with the book of Romans right now. We're going to take a, a 30,000 foot view of the book of Romans. We're going to see through it and we're going to see how chapter 9 is so significant and the verses that, that uh, in that first part of that passage... As you come to the book of Romans, I don't think that Paul intended to sit down and write 16 chapters when he sat down to write the book of Romans. I don't think so. I think what we see here in this book is actually an illustration for us of the way that the Holy Spirit inspired the Holy Scriptures. And you can see it in action. I'll show you in just a second here. Um, Paul was, was, you know, he was in this, in this space where he's writing. And I, I, cannot, I always try to imagine what would it have been like for Paul to actually write this. He didn't have, you know, a, a MacBook Pro and he didn't have even a notepad, a paper, and a pen. He sat down and he scratched this thing out on a great big piece of leather. Like, that's the way it was written. 
it's, it's, incre- it's kind of mind-blowing, actually, when you stop and you get back into to, to processing how we function today. We would think, well, it's impossible to write because I don't have even a pen and paper. But if I don't have that, like, how can I do this? Paul did it. And, and so as he begins to write, what we need to understand is that Paul, and we learn this through the book of Acts, he was a missionary church planter. That was his life. That was who he was. It was what made him tick. He, he was all about communicating the gospel with the Gentiles, and that's us. Um, he was about that. And when we come to the book of Romans, he is writing a letter to the church at Rome as a missionary. You realize that when you step back and you look at the book of Romans and you get, you get, you get past all of the deep theology, you realize it's a missionary support letter. Paul was writing a letter to the church at Rome, and, and he was doing it for this purpose. He said, you know what? I'm going to go to Spain and, and preach the gospel there. And I know I've never been to Rome, but I've always wanted to come and preach the gospel among you people there and to, and to, to do that. So I'm going to come on my way to Spain, and I'm sending you this letter to let you know so that you can be prepared. Because when I come, I'm going to spend some time with you, and I want you to send me on my way but they can't be prepared to do that unless he lets them know in advance. So he's sending them a letter. That letter could have taken one chapter, maybe two, and that would have been it. But the Holy Spirit steps in, and it's beautiful, and you see it unfold. Look at at chapter 1. Paul says in chapter 1, he says, I don't want you to be unaware, this is verse 13, uh, brothers, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I've had among the other Gentiles. I'm obligated to both Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel to you who are at Rome. And so this, he's, he's setting the tone for this, this missionary support letter. He says these things, and he mentions the gospel. And I think this is where, where the Holy Spirit grabs hold of his heart. And we see that the, the tone of everything begin to change at this moment. It's beautiful to see. And he, he says, you know, I wanted to preach the gospel to you who are at Rome. And then he's like, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And then, as he's meditating on this, this thought of the gospel, his thinking becomes kind of dark. And, and his soul becomes kind of overwhelmed as he's writing. And he says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all of the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Then in verse 21, For although they knew God, they neither, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man, birds, animals, and reptiles. And then in verse 28, he says, Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. And then verse 32, he says, They not only continue to practice these very things, 
or to do these very things, but approve of those who practice them. Wow. See, Paul's thinking, he's the gospel. And he's like, oh, why was it necessary? And, and his heart becomes overwhelmed with this sense of darkness and how bad the situation is. So if you're taking notes, point one, the situation is bad. The situation is bad. And, and so Paul, as he's writing this, he's overwhelmed with it. And we look at it, and isn't that what we live in today? Like, the people who practice them are praised and are approved and said, you know what, you're doing everything wrong. Hallelujah, that's great. We're like, that's insane. And yet this is the world we live in. Right is wrong and wrong is right. And it's mixed up, turned upside down. And this is what Paul is doing. And he's reading it. And he's like, my heart breaks for this. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all of the wickedness of men. This is it. This is it. So as we look at Romans, it begins, Paul starts to write this missionary support letter, and he mentions the gospel, and, and oh, it gets dark. God, this is why it's so desperately necessary, because the situation is bad. And, and so chapters 1 and 2 and into chapter 3, this is what we see. And then we come to chapter 3, and, in, in, and partway through chapter 3, he says in verse 21, but now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. For there's no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. You see, the situation is bad, but God's done something about it. But now a righteousness from God is revealed. Yeah, the wrath of God's coming, but a righteousness from God has come. Something good is happening. And in chapter 5, he says this. He says, you see... At just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, the gospel is so beautiful. It is so unlike anything that we could have come up with on our own. We would have had some kind of a system where if you get enough points, you win. And, and that's not what he did. God's thinking is completely the opposite. The guy who is perfect and sinless, and my son, I sacrifice for you. Like, that's, that is not, that does not compute in the human mind. The situation we're in is bad, but the good news is really, really amazing. It, it continues and it gets even better. I remember as a teen when I first discovered Romans chapter 7. Have you read Romans chapter 7? I mean, come on. I, I, as a teenager, I was an idiot. Like, I, I would, like, oh, I, I knew Jesus and yet I, I'd try to follow him and then I'd do stupid things and then I'd, oh God, please forgive me. And then I'd do it again and then, I, no, and then I'd back and forth and back and forth. It was just a constant battle. And then I came to Romans chapter 7. I was like, wait a minute, who wrote this? That's in the Bible? And wait a minute, past, uh, Paul wrote it. 
I was blown away. Romans chapter 7, Paul says this. He says, <laughs> I, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. I'm like, wait a minute. This is Paul? It is. This is the Apostle Paul. And, and if I do what I don't want to do, uh, I agree that the law is good. As it is, no longer I, to, I who do it, I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I don't want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work within the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am! See, Paul is just, he's struggling back and forth. and He's seeing the beauty of the gospel and he's wrestling with all of this. And then he says, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So this is it. Jesus is the answer to the struggles that you have every day. He's the answer to us battling back and forth with all of this. The gospel is really amazing. It's not only for that day when you went from darkness to light. It's, the, it's for today. It's for this morning. It's for tonight. It's for all of those excuse me, those things that we struggle with. And, and in chapter 8, he says, there is, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Is that beautiful? Like, this is the hope that we have. This is the beauty of the gospel. And Romans chapter 8, Paul is on a mountaintop, and he is just pumped about the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, in all these things, in verse 37, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He, that, oh, is that good? It's beautiful. And, and Paul is sitting, remember, Paul's sitting and he's writing, he's scratching all this out on a piece of leather with some, probably some kind of a quill or something. He's trying to write it all down. And, and he's, he's gone from this place where, you know, he's meditating on the gospel and, oh, it's so dark. But the gospel, it's so amazing. And then he comes to chapter nine and he's depressed. It's like a roller coaster. I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Paul is overwhelmed. The gospel is beautiful. 
It's, it's this wonderful hope that we have. And yet he looks at it and his own family, his own people have rejected him at every turn. If you've read the book of Acts, you realize that Paul's first mode of evangelism was to go to the synagogue first when he went to a new town. He was trying to reach his brothers and sisters who were Jews. And again and again and again he was rejected and he went to the Gentiles and he shared Christ with them. Thank God he did. That's why we're here. His heart broke. I wonder, do you feel like that when you think about Canadians? We have such a diverse and beautiful country. We've become a country of the nations, really. And it's, it's amazing. And yet, we are lost people. I travel from city to city and help plant churches all over. And I'm telling you, it is very difficult for me to find, because we research cities again and again and again, very difficult for me to find a city, even the most churched cities in our region, that has more than 95% lost people. Or that has less, sorry, I get my numbers mixed up. More than 5% born again. Most of the communities that I come to, and London would be included in that, 95 or more percent are headed to a Christless eternity. my own people, those of our own family. This is the thing that was breaking his heart. And so when we come to Romans chapter 9 and we see Paul, his heart breaks. And so for Paul, as he wrestles with this, for him to do nothing was unthinkable. He, he was willing to sacrifice his own salvation. He said, if it were possible, I would give up my own salvation, that they would come to know Jesus, that the nation would come to follow Jesus. But that's not possible. And so he grieved in his heart. And then over the next chapters, we see it unfold. Paul talks about what it looks like to become a follower of Jesus in Romans chapter 10, and he says that if you confess with your mouth, beginning in verse 9 of Romans chapter 10, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it's with the heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile, for the same Lord is, is, the same Lord, is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call? on the one that they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they're sent? This letter is a missionary support letter, but it's sent to the church, to the people of God. 
and entrusted to us. So these questions and this heartache and these things should ring in our minds and in our hearts. Paul moves on and continues to talk about these things and talk about what it looks like for us to live as followers and to be obedient in this way. And in chapter 12, he says um, that we are to live our lives in view of God's mercies, in view of what he has done, as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is our spiritual act of worship. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you. He talks about the gifts that are given to us and how we're to use those for whatever purpose God intended in our lives. Sadly, many of us don't. Many of us don't live as living sacrifices. We've crawled off the altar, and that's one of the problems with a living sacrifice, right? And we do that, and, and, and we don't live our lives sacrificially. I want... Uh, to wrap up this morning with a question. It's a penetrating question that comes to us out of the book of Romans. As Paul has been writing this letter, telling the church, yes, I'm going to come to you at Rome. I want you to be prepared to send me on my way to Spain. It's necessary because the situation is bad. The good news is really amazing. And doing nothing is unthinkable. If doing nothing is unthinkable, and if you agree with Paul that that is true, to do nothing is unthinkable, I wonder, what does doing something look like? The answer to that question is different for each one of us. Because as Paul said in Romans chapter, um, chapter uh, 12 there, we've, we've each been entrusted with different gifts and abilities and talents and resources and relationships and, and, and spheres of influence and all kinds of things. If doing nothing is unthinkable, what does doing something with the message of the gospel look like for you? I can't answer that question for you. Um, this is a question that each one of us has to stand before God and answer faithfully. God's entrusted me with gifts and abilities and talents and, and, and education and experiences, good, bad, and ugly. All of those things play into who he has made you to be today. What does it look like to do something? Maybe as a church, that means you get behind a church planting effort and you do this to reproduce yourselves. Maybe as an individual, God wants you to be a part of a team. Maybe 
you've been sitting there and you know that you have the ability to do something here um, and you've just never done it because oh, I'm kind of busy and I, it cramps my style of what I've already been doing. I'm going to have to change things. <sighs> Maybe we need to be faithfully examining what it is that God has entrusted to us and ask ourselves the question, what does doing something look like? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the way that you have entrusted the gospel to us and shown it to us in this beautiful way in the book of Romans. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to the way that you have wired each one of us and that we would take up the responsibility entrusted to us and faithfully live out everything you have made us to be. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.